0: as well as there are many within our church who battle all kinds of sicknesses and disease and cancer and uh, all kinds of trouble. And it has been fitting for us to go through the book of James. Church, we don't set out and plan these things. The Lord directs the steps. And for us to go through James at a time like this for our church and the things of the world, it's just been glorious to see how he's teaching us uh, how he calls the church to live And so as we've been going through these five chapters over the past few months, um, we have seen that from the beginning that uh, we are to have joy in the midst of trials. And it's like, no way is there joy in the midst of trials. And what it is is joy that God has allowed or sent trials into your life because He promises to bring the believer through those trials so that you would grow in spiritual maturity. James has uh, taught us in this letter about The Christian that battles with temptation and how to stand under that by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's addressed specific sins in the body of Christ as he wrote to the church there and he writes to the church now. We have seen him teach on faith and works and that true faith for the believer always is accompanied by good works. That you cannot have faith in Christ without the good works and they go hand in hand and at the same time we saw that works do not save you. He wrote of suffering. In the last chapter, we've seen the last few weeks on prayer that he says, if you're suffering, you need to pray. He says, if you're joyful, you should sing. If you're in need of healing, call the elders to pray for you. Anoint with oil. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another, as we saw last week. And that the prayer that's offered in faith, like Elijah, which we saw, um, the Lord works powerfully in. So we come to this last two verses in which he says to bring back the wanderers. To bring back the wanderers. This last week I read a number of stories of children and adults who wandered off into places. Some were found and some were never found. Some wandered off and died. One that stood out to me was a three-year-old boy living in Siberia. If you don't know about Siberia, it gets cold there. And in 2016, a three-year-old boy wandered off with his family right there after a puppy. And for three days, a three-year-old boy without a jacket was in the wilderness by himself. Praise the Lord, he was discovered. He was sleeping in the roots of these trees to try to stay warm at night. But to think of the terror of his family when this child wandered off and they could not find him. I wonder how many people have been a part of Christian gatherings in this world, even Discovery Alliance Church, and are no longer here. They were here at one point. We turn our heads and they're gone. Well, it's no surprise in this world there are numerous paths of temptation in this world that lead in all different directions And there are people who just wander off and you think, wait, they were a part of the church. Where did they go? And what James calls for the believers today is for you to be part of the search party. If you're a follower of Christ and you know that there are those who have wandered off, you are a part of the search party, not just the elders or pastors in the church. And you are to go and look to those people and share the word of God with them that they would be turned back from their wandering As we look at this in James, the scriptural truth we see this morning is this. There is no greater work than declaring the gospel to save the lost and bring back wondering Christians back to the truth of God. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Again, Father, we ask for help. Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we would see the truths of Christ presented for us. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jeremiah chapter 14, uh, Jeremiah speaks of the Wonderings, or as he says, the backslidings of the nation of Israel, that they would constantly have these backslidings in the sense of turning away from God and their covenant with God that he's made with them to worship idols. He says in Jeremiah 14, verse 7, Though our iniquities testify against us, act, O Lord, for your name's sake, for our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. This backsliding or this turning away, this turning back, uh, this giving into temptation is this same type of warning which James is giving the church today, and so it's important, church, that you would see James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. It, the, the, the book ends, the letter ends as abruptly as it began. And it fits with James, where every little passage that he teaches is short. And it's right to the point. Do these things. Here's the truth. This should be evident in your life. Therefore, church... He writes, he says, My brothers, anyone among you, he's writing to the church, and we must take heed to those who are straying. We must watch over our heart as we were just singing, prone to wonder that we would not be people who wander away after the things of the world. We saw that in James chapter 2, in which he warned of the wisdom of the world, which people go after. And he was warning Christians of going back to the wisdom of the world. Let's look at verse 19 in this first point regarding wondering from the truth. James writes, he says, My brothers, if anyone among you, so again, he's writing to the Christians, he's writing to the church, he's writing to them then, and he writes to you now if you're a follower of Christ. If anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let us stop there. Questions are, what is a wanderer? What is someone who wonders? What is that? Who are the wanderers? Are there any wanderers that are a part of our church or have wandered away from our church here? The word wonders means to go astray. It means to roam about. It means to be led into error. To be led astray or led into er into error to the sense of sinning against the Lord God Almighty. And as we read this, he says, Anyone among you. So we can picture this, a wanderer as someone who has wandered away from the body of Christ, but at one point, they said they were a believer. At one point, they said that they were a follower of Christ. These are people that you would see among the body of Christ at Discovery Alliance Church, and you're like, wait, I haven't seen them in six months. Wait, they were just here. Wait, three years ago. Wait, where are these people? These would be people that you would say, oh, they're a part of the fellowship, they're followers of Christ, they're here, and now they're gone. And they're not, they've not gone on to another church, they've just stopped going to church altogether. And generally, many times with people who wander from the truth of God, what they wander to is the wisdom of the world, and so you see blatant open sin in their life. And James says that we're to turn those people back to the Lord by presenting to them the truth of God. These are people, maybe you saw them baptized in the church. Maybe they even served and they were greeters. You're like, hey, they're not greeting us anymore. They served over here or they were doing these types of things. Oh, that person, they went on mission trips. Where are they at today? But again, today they have nothing that they want to do with God. Well, a few things Before we look more closely at this, some reminders of Scripture and truth about those who are Christians, going back to faith and works, going through this whole book that we've seen, that those who are Christians, and when we say Christians who have true faith in Christ, we must be reminded that a Christian who is saved by faith alone and Christ alone cannot lose their salvation. I used to believe that growing up. I believed and had a fear in my heart that if I sinned enough that I would uh, fall away from God and uh, turn away from Him and I would be, you know, lost. But when I read passages like John chapter 10, we come to this text frequently, and so instead of just addressing it, we will read it. John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, you have Jesus declaring great truths about himself as the good shepherd. And he says this in verse 27. Speaking of Christians, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. There should be amens when you read that if you're a follower of Christ. Here's the thing Christ has shed his blood to save his people from their sins. And once they're saved through faith in Christ alone, God the Father adopts them. It's signed and sealed, the adoption paperwork does not get torn up. Christ is presenting or preparing an inheritance for his children. In heaven, that's imperishable, it's not going to rot away, it's not going to rust away, it's not going to go away, and he will see his people to the end. And so we rejoice in the fact that a true Christian, even if they begin to wander into sinfulness, will not wander so far that God loses them, or that Satan can snatch them out of his hand, or that they can be lost or lose their salvation. God will see his people through to the end, and in that we rejoice. We rejoice. Therefore, a true Christian will never wander so far from the truth that they will join a cult or another religion or declare that Jesus is not God. A true Christian may and does deal with sin just as James told us to be watchful and to stand under the temptation that abounds. And so if I asked you this week to raise your hand who sinned this week, possibly some hands would go up. And you laugh because we know that we all sin and break God's law and we even battle with it as a follower of Christ. It is so wonderful to be able to read through Scripture and knows that God pays the price for His people and He saves His people and He sees His people to the end. In Matthew chapter 13, in Mark chapter 4, and in Luke chapter 8, you have the parable of the sower We've looked at the parable of the sower here a few times, Matthew 13 and Mark 4 and Luke chapter 8, and in that, the deciding factor of those who are followers of Christ is those who produce fruit. And there's four soils that are presented. There's the hard path, there's the rocky soil, there's the soil where there's thorns and weeds that grow up, and then there's the good soil. And on the two opposite ends, you have Jesus talking about those seeds that fall on the hard soil, and the birds that take them away. And he tells the disciples later, he says, that is when Satan takes away the people that have no regard for God whatsoever. And then you have the soil on the opposite end, which is the good soil. And the seed goes down in and it grows and produces a crop a hundredfold. And he says, these are the people who believe in Christ, who are saved, and they're growing and producing fruit. But there's two groups in the middle. There's those who fall upon the rocky soil and the seed goes down and the words used there is not this rocks all over the place but like this rock that's underneath and so you have the roots that go down and hit the rocks and they cannot get to the living water and so they shoot up and all of a sudden Jesus describes the person who's excited about Jesus who's excited about God and it says the sun comes out and withers the plant and it dies never producing fruit. And he describes the people who you may know today, people who at one point may be a part of this church or another part of the church where they were, hey, I'm all about Jesus, I'm gonna to come to church. And today, they have no regard for Christ. They are living in the world, uh, worldly wisdom. They're openly in sin, and there's no regard for Christ whatsoever. And then you have Jesus talking about the, the seed that falls among the soil with the thorns. And the weeds grow up and the plant grows up and these thorns and these weeds choke out the plants. Those of you who know in the midst of this season right now where everything's growing, I got home last night and I was like, look at all these weeds. They're going to kill out all these beautiful flowers here. So I was pulling out all these weeds here. And Jesus talks about that person who's excited about the things of the Lord, but the things of the world begin to distract them and choke them out to the point that they leave. And there's no fruitfulness And we know from Jesus' teachings in the Gospels that fruitfulness is a sign of those who are his disciples and all who do not produce fruit are not followers of Christ. Just as we studied in James, that faith is always accompanied by works. Works will never save you. Faith alone in Christ saves you. But if you have so-called faith and there's no fruit, there's no good works, there's no good deeds, then the question is, is that really true faith? Is some of this clicking for you? Do you see what James is laying out and saying, Church, you need to be a part of the search party that goes out to call the wanderers back and you need to pray for protection over your own heart as the allurement of the world is wanting all of your attention to stray from the things of the truth of God. In... First John, on the far right-hand side of your Bible, as John writes to the early church and these young believers, he speaks of those who would be a part of the body of Christ, and they departed. He says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Maybe some of this is beginning to click in your mind and names are coming to your, or faces to your mind of people. In your experience in being a part of churches over the years and you're like, oh, those people, that's right. And you could tell story after story of people that were a part of the body of Christ and they looked like Christians, but yet today they have no regard for Christ whatsoever. If you go and look back at James here, My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, what are they wondering from there in verse 19? The truth. Who is the truth? Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 24 is a text in which after Christ rose from death to life, he's walking on the road with some disciples and then they go in and have a meal and he tells them, everything that was written in the law and the prophets is about me. And so when you read the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. And all of the New Testament reveals what Christ did and has accomplished and finished His work there at the cross, His death, burial, and resurrection, and rites of His return to come. And it's filled with how we live and abide in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the truth that these wanderers are straying from, the truth of God's Word. The Apostle Paul warned Timothy as he instructed Timothy in, in the planting of churches and putting elders and leaders in place. He says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Repeatedly, the Apostle Paul warns the churches of false teachers. He warns the church of paying close attention to what is being taught, what is being preached, what you are reading, and therefore, if you want to know the truth that the wanderers are wandering away from, you need to read the Word of God. I actually would encourage you and ask you to do this. Don't read any other commentaries, theology books, or commentaries, or or whatever the list. I'm probably repeating myself without reading this first. Read the Word of God and then search out, if you need to, other types of uh, things to assist you in it. But read the Word of God so that you would be grounded in the truth and that you would not be a wanderer from the truth of God. In Psalm chapter 1, which I read um, just before, uh, just as we finished singing there, Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who delights in the law of the Lord. And so do you delight in God's Word? Even when you read those passages, it just strikes you. You're like, oh, I don't want to read this, Lord. But do you delight in God's Word? Is it something that you meditate on throughout the day and through the watch of the night? When you can't sleep, do you pick up the Bible or do you pick up the best top ten novel that's out there? Do you go to God's word first? Do you as Dave was encouraged at the beginning to memorize the scriptures that we would hide them in our hearts because in Psalm 1 it said there in verse 3 that the person is not only blessed to have the word of God but they're like trees by the streams of water. So I enjoy fishing along the Bitterroot River. And there's some very tall cottonwood trees. And yes, I know they rot, and you got to watch out in the windstorms. But when you walk by some of these trees, and you see some of these root systems, and you watch when the water gets eaten out during this type of uh, flood season, you see these tremendous roots that go down deep into the water. And I love that picture, because that is the picture to be for you and I as a follower of Christ. Are your roots going down deep into the truth of God's Word, the truth of Christ? Or are they just kind of these shallow little things kind of dabbling in the Word of God? Read the Word of God. Dwell in the Word of God. Memorize them. Hide God's Word in your heart. Next week we'll be getting a book called Titus. And I sent you out an encouragement to read the book of Titus every week. You're like, read the book of Titus. It's only three chapters. Read it every week. Come prepared as we look at that. Because in Titus chapter 1 verse 1, it totally connects in all of these things. It says, of the knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. You see, God's truth and godly living, or we call holy living, goes hand in hand. So as you invest your life and your roots go deep down into the word of God, the holiness of God is seen in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit giving you understanding to His truths. And so read the Word of God. Read, read the book of Titus this week before we gather next Sunday. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3. In the book of Hebrews, there's a few different uh, chapters and verses that address um, a warning to the church Specifically, again, people that would be straying away to guard your heart. And it says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You see, again, the warning is there that those who may even be a part of the congregation here today who have hearts that are wondering, maybe hearts, as it says, sinners here, we'll look at this word, who have never come to true faith in Christ. The thought of being forgiven forgiving of your sins is great. And so maybe that's why you're here. But that as Hebrews writes and as Paul writes to Timothy, as we read there in John and in 1 John, that we would take heed of these passages and be concerned for one another. And I don't know if you saw that on that verse there. It says, but exhort one another every day. Church... Are you exhorting one another in the body of Christ every day? Not just Sunday when you shake hands and have your donut, your coffee, hang out before or after. Do you exhort one another one a day? It means to encourage. Again, there's this accountability aspect because don't let church attendance fool you into thinking that you're in true fellowship because you come to a church service 45 times, or well, the national average is like 28 times out of the year. Don't let attendance in a church service, here or at any other church, fool you that you have true fellowship in the body of Christ. True fellowship in the body of Christ is this relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, God Almighty dwelling in us, and having relationships within the body of Christ. Some of you need to pray today and ask the Lord to stir your hearts with great affection for fellowship within the body of Christ that you would not just be one who just attends and goes away and waits until the next week, and if there's something else that gets in in the place of attending, then that's okay, but people who are encouraging and exhorting one another every day to check in on one another, those who are battling with sickness and health, those, as we were reading there in chapter 5, who are in need, they they need to confess their sins and be encouraged by one another, not that you are God who forgives their sins, but simply doing what James tells the church to do because it's the truth of God's word. Church, are you and I praying for protection of our hearts and for the protections of one another? As James says, pray for each other that we would not wonder from the truth of God, that we would not seek out the things that are outside of the truth of God. I would say that most wanderers that I know in the last 20-something years In churches who have wandered away and they are no longer in a church they don't have any regard for God one of the things I look back now is they never had any relationships with people within the body of Christ all they ever did was attend and so we people did not know anything about them and so when they strayed no one missed them at first until later it's like oh where were those people Pray for the body of Christ. Pray for one another. Seek out true fellowship so that you would have accountability in your life. And I would say this before we look at verse 20. Not only pray for the body of Christ, not only involve yourself in the body of Christ in close relationships and true fellowship and encouragement, but thank Jesus. Do you have a grateful heart this morning for His forgiveness? I mean, think of all the things that you have done against God, how you have broken His law, how you are guilty of sin against Him. Are you grateful this morning that Jesus Christ offers forgiveness for His people who He shed His blood for? Amen. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Many of you know this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Church, this is a foundational point of our salvation. It's in Christ alone, and there's no work that you and I can ever do to be saved. You can't go to enough classes, read the Bible enough times, go to enough things to be saved. Again, back to James. Faith always accompanies, verse 10, good works. And so the test is, if you believe in Christ as Lord and Savior, there is fruit to be accompanied in your life. And some people produce more fruit at different times than others. But to have a fruitless Christian is nothing that is found in Scripture. John chapter 15. As you abide in Christ and He abides in you, you will produce fruit. And that's a sign of saving faith. Well, look at verse 20 here in James as we come to this last verse here. It says, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. If you have been a parent before, you would know this feeling that um, in large crowds or maybe in the forest or in places where there's a lot of people and you have a very little small one, the fear of them wandering off. A number of years ago in Los Angeles, I remember being in a store and a lady started freaking out, yelling, they're like, close the doors, security. I mean, we're trying to figure out what's going on. What we found out is she she couldn't find her son. And so they're literally standing at the door, making sure that no one is kidnapped or son. They're running to the exit. They're calling over the loudspeaker. Everyone's just kind of waiting. They're asking. And so everyone's just like looking all over. And I think this went on for like three minutes, but it felt like it was forever. And it was like everyone in the room just felt this weight and like torment. And then all of a sudden, someone, someone was like, I have found him. This little boy was hiding in and among the clothes racks. So any kids listening, don't ever do that. But it's like everyone in the room is just like, oh, thank you, Lord. She was ticked. She goes from this great fear of like, my son is dead, gone, something's happening, to she's chewing him out. To the point where you're like, wait, back off a little. But this terror that comes over People, when someone is lost, or to think about, I think it was two years ago, uh, I remember there was like a thing that showed up on our phone phone, and there was a man here in the area that has some cognitive issues and he left the home that he was at. They couldn't find him for a couple days. And I remember our family were praying, we're like, wait, where was he? Let's go drive in that area. It's like, when persons lost, there's a concern to find them. And this is the concern that you should have, Christian. Part of the body here Discovery? Is that on your heart when someone disappears that you reach out to them? And there's always transitions in churches all over. There's people who transition and they go to, they move to different places, they go to different churches, the Lord leads in that. But we're talking about people who are straying from the truth of God. Do we have a concern like a search and rescue team? Verse 20 says, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. Bringing back this word means to turn a person to the worship of the true God. We, we all, know, I, should, I, I can't say we all know. We should all know that none of us can save anyone. God does the saving, but he chooses to use his people to declare God's truth so that people would hear the gospel of Jesus and they would believe and be saved. And salvation belongs to God. He's the one who saves because Jesus is the one who died on the cross. Jesus is the one who shed his blood. Jesus is the one who's risen from death to life. And therefore, he's conquered Satan, he's conquered sin, and he's conquered death. And he is the only one who can save and forgive. So when you read to the brother, in verse 19, brother or sister in Christ, anyone among you, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wonder will save his soul from death. And so we're like, what does this mean? Well, number one, look at that word sinner. It's important that you would understand that in context of Scripture, the majority of the time that this word is used, it means this. A sinner is devoted to sin, not free from sin, preeminently sinful, wicked, or all wicked, and the number of times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John this word is used to describe a tax collector. Or you think about in Luke chapter 7, that sinner woman who brought in the oil to anoint Jesus. When you see the number of times that Jesus is interacting with people, the Pharisees are always saying, he's in fellowship, he's hanging out, he's eating with those sinners. And every time you read that, it's the context of a person who's not saved. So when you see Jesus goes to heal a person, sometimes before he even heals them, he says, "'Your sins are forgiven.'" This picture of salvation happening in their life that Jesus did, and he then heals them as well to display his power. And so it's key here when you see when it says, let him know, verse 20, that whoever brings a sinner back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover cover a multitude of sins. So for the most part, in verses 19 through 20, again, you have this overemphasis on people who are a part of the body of Christ, who have wandered away from God's truth, most likely because there has not been true faith in their life. And God says, you're to go and get them. You're to go and turn them to Christ. At least to go and try and share the gospel of Christ. Point them to the word of God and pray that the Holy Spirit would turn their hearts that they would believe in Christ and be saved. At the same time, if there are believers, true believers who produce fruit and are dabbling in the world, you are as well to go to them, to call them to account. So lovingly, say, brother, sister, I see this in your life. The word of God says this. Repent of that. Turn from that. Let me pray for you. Let me help you, hold you accountable. But it's important that we do understand this. When it says a sinner, and it describes a sinner here, the warning about saving the soul from death is not physical death. Yes, we have scripture that talks about warning, about sinning that would lead to some physical death because some sin or something that you do, that the consequence of that sin is physical death here. But this is spiritual death. This is regarding those who die without faith in Christ, go to hell for all eternity, and God the Father's wrath is poured out them on them forever. This is the death that they're being saved from, that we are called to turn people away from by declaring to them the truth of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we must also be reminded of this, is what makes a person a sinner. What makes a person a sinner? When we read in Romans chapter 5, we read that Adam's sin in the garden is passed down to all mankind. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. You can read that there. You can also go to 1 Corinthians that you see that Adam is a representative of all mankind. And God considers all man guilty of sin as Adam sinned in the garden... And he considered that and also declared that here in Romans 5, that Adam's guilt belongs to all mankind. And therefore, this helps you and I understand why we are all guilty sinners before the Lord God Almighty, because we are born with the sin nature passed down from Adam. That's why we can understand Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, you break God's law. You sin. But God regards and considers and has stated clearly in Scripture that all have the sin nature of Adam passed down. That's why we need Jesus to save us from our sins. And why Scripture says we cannot save ourselves. Look back at verse 20. Who does it say are supposed to bring back these sinners? James chapter 5 verse 20. What's it say? Is it say the elders and pastors and the deacons and deaconesses and the teachers are supposed to do that? No. It says whoever in the ESV. This means that all Christians in the body of Christ you are not to wait for an elder pastor leader in the church to go after someone if you know they're wondering yes you can come if you need an elder to go with you pray with you then do that but do not wait for leaders the shepherds to do that you should, if you have a relationship with another brother, sister in Christ and you see them wandering, call them to account lovingly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Everyone turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I know the scripture's up there on the screen and sometimes I don't even want to put it up there because I want you to look at it on your device or in your Bible there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is why all Christians are called to be, to, to be obedient and call back the wanderers because when we read this... All believers who are saved are given the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it says He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ Reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, always pay attention to the therefore's. It's the summary and the response of what we just read. We are ambassadors for Christ. Christians, you are His ambassadors. You are His witnesses here in this world. As Acts chapter 1-8 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, making His appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. What a wonderful passage. But have you ever thought about that, that you've been given a ministry, and it's the ministry of reconciliation, of people being saved by the blood of Christ, and that happens by you declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ? If he had not given that to you, he might as well, just when we become a Christian, he just takes us to heaven. But instead, God has chosen in his plan to call his people and to give you a command. It's not an option, church. You are to declare that you are to be people who are evangelistic. You are to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. And so what if you offend someone? Your life is short here. You will be persecuted for the name of Christ. And God gets all the glory for his work in you. And so when you are fearful, like many times, I'll be talking with someone in town, it's like, the heart starts racing. It's like, I need to say something. How am I going to enter this? And a lot of times it's easy for me because people will ask me, so what do you do for a living? I'm like, do you really want to know? Because I'm like, we got to talk about Jesus. But call back the wanderers because you've been given the ministry of reconciliation because you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And James says... That when we do this and call the wanderer back, not only are they saved from eternal damnation and death, but they're, they're, it says that it will cover a multitude or many of their sins. And we have this uh, passage uh, quoted in other places, like it's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So yes, you can forgive someone who sinned against you, but you cannot forgive their sins against the Lord God Almighty. And therefore, when they're called back as you call them to Christ and they come to faith in Christ, their sins are covered, their multitudes are covered by the blood of Christ and removed, not because of something that you do to them, but what God does when you're faithful to share the gospel and they come to faith in Christ. It says in Romans chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, again, I love the passage where it declares how, those who are blessed, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Church, reflect on that this morning, that your sins have been covered and removed by the blood of Christ. Again, there is no greater work than declaring the gospel to save the lost and bring wandering Christians back to the truth of God. So let's close with this. How do you bring the wanderers back? Some practical things. Number one, Prayer. prayer. James chapter five. We just spent two weeks in this. And it's no surprise that he brings this to this end. When he says to pray for one another. Number one, pray for them. Therefore, James 5, 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If you missed that, you can go listen to that last week. But you are to pray like Elijah prayed. And God hears the prayers of the righteous. And he works through those prayers according to his word. So pray for the wanderers. Number two is lovingly confront them. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus has given you the body of Christ that when you see a brother or sister of Christ in sin, maybe they've sinned against you, Jesus says you follow these steps. It's Matthew chapter 18. Read Matthew chapter 18, 15 through 18. Because some of you may have people in your mind that you need to go and lovingly confront. And you go to them and say, brother, sister, you're in sin. And if they reject that, then Jesus says in that to take two or three people with you. That means other Christians. To lovingly go and confront them. Brother, sister, you're in sin. Like that ministry of reconciliation. Beg them to turn back to Christ. And then Jesus says, if that still, they still reject it, then tell it to the church. And the problem is so many churches do church discipline so badly, they never do the third step. Usually, they just kick the person out. The third step is you tell the church, and people are like, How could you do that today? You would dare say? You mean the elders would get up and tell the church? Well, they tell the membership, "Hey, we have a brother, sister in Christ. We've done this step. We've done this step. This person is sin, sin. They're a member of the body of Christ. You, church, call them to account to the word of God. Love them. Pray for them. Call them to Christ. And if they still reject the body of Christ, then they are to be treated as someone who is not saved. The wanderers again." It fascinated me this week, and I was praising the Lord this week, how all of these things with Scripture, we don't need other commentaries. How Scripture is the best commentary in itself, and it flows together so seamlessly that we can just dwell all the rest of our days in the Word of God alone and rejoice and grow and have understanding by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's my heart's desire for you. Galatians chapter 6 says this, When we restore a brother or sister in Christ, we're to do it gently. So you pray for them, you lovingly confront them, you have a right attitude of them, of gentleness. So if they turn from their sin, Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself lest you too be tempted. Sometimes Christians are tempted to attack the person. They're trying to come back and it's like opening the door for the temptation in your own life. We're to be gently restoring people even when they've sinned greatly and it's affected families and it's affected the body of Christ. We are to gently restore them as God calls them back. We are to do that. So pray for them, lovingly confront them, have a right attitude and gently restore them and lastly, praise the Lord when they return. Don't embarrass them. Praise the Lord with them. Because Psalm 103, Psalm 103, verse 11 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Thank you, God. Micah chapter 7, verse 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us, he will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And if you have not been to the depths of the sea, know they are very deep. And they are very dark and places where no one goes. And to think that the Lord God Almighty in that sense forgets your sins because He forgives your sins. And He does not bring up your sins and go, let me beat you across the head. Many times that what happens in relationships with husbands and wives and parents and children, we want to bring up the past and go, remember this, what you did? I believe that's why many people who are Christians struggle with forgiving people who have hurt them. We want God's forgiveness but oh, we want them to pay for what they've done to us. Look to Christ who has forgiven you greatly and have that same attitude of love towards one another and forgive them. Last, as, a, as the worship team comes up, I want to read one last passage. It's in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. For many, this is a familiar passage, but we see the love of Christ For his people. We see the love of Christ as the great shepherd. We see him caring for his sheep. And it says this in Luke chapter 15. Verse 4: What what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country? And go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice for me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. The love of Christ, our great shepherd. Therefore, pray for those who are wondering that God would use you to go after them with the love of Christ, the word of Christ, and they would turn back and we would rejoice. And maybe you're here, and as we were singing Prone to Wonder, You're dabbling in things of this world that are beginning to cause affections for the world and not Christ. And you're on that edge or that brink of becoming a wanderer. Today is the day that God is declaring to you through His Word, stop! Find a brother or sister in the room. Talk to the elders and I. Ask for prayer. Find some accountability so that you as a potential wanderer don't wander off, away. And again, as always, Maybe you're here and you're living in your sin and you've never declared faith in Christ. Today is the day of salvation for you. And Jesus says in Romans chapter 10 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ was raised from death to life, you will be saved. And it's his promise and it's his word and it's his saving work and he gets all the glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you've given us. We thank you for the book of James. So many wonderful, glorious truths for us to live and abide by. Father, let us now, as James uh, said, to be people who do what we hear. And we cannot do any of this unless, Holy Spirit, you fill us and empower us and move us in holy living. Father, would you forgive us of our sins this morning? Father, may we be people who confess our sins to you, for you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. May we rejoice in the forgiveness that we find at the cross through the blood of Christ. And may we rejoice, Jesus, that you are alive We pray, Christ, that uh, you would return today and take us to be with you. Father, for those who are lost, we pray that they would be saved. May we receive all the praise and glory as we sing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.